My name is Kyle, like they said. I am a student pastor here, and I am absolutely honored to be here. Seriously, I am. I'm so thankful that I have this opportunity to work with your kids, and I'm grateful that you're here, and, uh, and I'm excited to have some fun. All right, so we're in the middle of this series called The Arrival, and we're talking about uh, the fact that Christmas is coming. And, and so last week, uh, Reverend Rich did an amazing job of, of kind of kicking off this series, and he looked at a guy by the name of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet that uh, worked, if you will, somewhere around 700 BC, so a long time ago. Uh, we would understand that to be a pastor. And basically what this guy did is he walked around and, and basically spread hope. He, he told of, of great things in store for us, uh, many promises. In fact, I want to look at some of those uh, in Isaiah 9. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So there's hope coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And Rich just did an incredible job of breaking down what that looks like. And, and so for me, the next part is the part that just kind of makes me quiver. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I kind of like it. I can just visualize this, this takeover, if you will, that is epic, and uh, he, this is what he says. He says, of his greatness, of his government, there, the peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Man, that's just oozing with hope. Like, I can, I can just picture the greatness of that and, and, and just to to think about in our world and, and in all the, the injustice and all the stuff that's happening around us, to, to know that all of that will be made right and that there's hope. And, and so I want to talk about that today, but I want to look at it from a different angle, a much more difficult angle. Now, now listen, I, I don't know why they asked the youth pastor to tackle this tough subject. I don't know. But one of two things is going to happen. One, we're going to learn something. We're going to have some fun. And uh, we'll walk out here filled with a little bit more hope. Or two... We're going to be like at a NASCAR event. We're going to wait and watch for the wreck. It's really, so that's what's going to happen. So uh, either way, it's going to be fun, okay? For you or for me, I don't know. We'll, we'll, have, we'll figure that out. But no, we're, I want to talk about something that the church itself um, doesn't talk about a lot. The church is very good, including this church, very good about talking, uh, about teaching and training people to listen to God, how to hear him, how to pray, and then how to 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 receive what God is saying. But what we don't talk about and what we don't tackle enough is what do we do in the midst of God's silence? What do we do when we don't feel like God is there? When we're praying day in and day out and he, nothing's coming back. We don't feel anything and we're just stuck in this spot. I want to look at Isaiah because there's really no, no other guy that, that has as much depth on that. Because here's a guy that Right? He spent the, the majority of his life walking around and sharing this hope and, and telling of this future king and, and all the great stuff he's going to do. But never once in his entire lifetime did he experience it. I, I don't know if you can really fully grasp the reality of that. I mean, I couldn't do that. There's not enough Xanax in the world that could make me get up every day. Albert Einstein said it best. He said, when you do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. And yet Isaiah, 
in spite of all that. And, and trust me, there was plenty of mockers. There's plenty of people that said he was silly and he was wasting his time. There was plenty of people that gave up hope, but this guy refused to. He, he clung to a hope that, that is Christmas. And it's the perfect time to talk about it because I think Christmas exposes something in all of us. Um, it's a reminder. And for me, uh, I love Christmas. But, but one, of the, one of the tough parts about Christmas, that I have a love-hate relationship with this part. I, I don't mind the family. I don't mind the chaos. I don't mind the, the craziness. I don't mind the shopping. I don't mind the marketing. I don't mind all that. What I absolutely dislike about Christmas is wishless. And I, you're sitting here and going, you're, you're silly. And I, but listen, I am a person who is a control freak. Are there any control freaks in the room? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. And so to, to desire something, to want something, to research something, to determine what will make my life better, and then put that in the hands of someone else is always a struggle for me. Even when I was young, now, now listen, I'm going to tell you a story, and, and you can't judge me. I, I'm, I'm reformed, okay? This is, this is horrible, but it, it makes a point. When I was young, it was, it was 10 years ago, uh, I wanted a PlayStation 2. Yeah, sorry. PlayStation 2. I was, I was convinced that a PlayStation would uh, change my life. In fact, right now, I'm convinced that a PlayStation 4 is going to change my life. I'm sharing that with my wife right now. No. <laughs> um, but I was convinced that that would, that would change my life. And I remember that, you know, I did one of those things when you go and you tell your mom what you want, but, but you do it in a way that you try to make yourself absolutely clear. Hey, mom, this is what I want. Look at me, mom. You know, you turn her face and you're, this is what I need. And, and uh, let me make this really clear for you, mom. I'm going to be very upset if I don't get this. Yeah, I was a selfish jerk. And so I remember I was just waiting and eager, and I'm shopping games. I'm sitting there going, what features? I mean, this is the first time I had a DVD player. I'm like, what movies am I going to watch? This is going to be awesome. And, uh, and then Christmas came, and I opened gift after gift that wasn't a PlayStation. And, and I remember, this was horrible, and I remember just breaking my mom's heart because I would, I would get a gift and be like, not a PlayStation. Next. And I was just totally ungrateful. And then at the end of the time, there was no PlayStation. There was no more gifts. And I went up to my mom and I said, Mom, now remember, I'm reformed, okay? <laughs> mom, what is wrong with you? I asked for one thing. And my mom at that point was so fed up and, and so broken. And oh, the look on her face still makes me feel like a jerk. She started to cry. And she said, you know, I was waiting. And she went into her bedroom and pulled out this gift. She said, I was waiting so you could open it in front of your whole family. And there was my PlayStation 2. And I was like, man, I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. But what's fascinating to me is that my hope in that moment was all around something silly. And as I've gotten older and as I've gotten wiser and I've gotten more mature, and I still have a long way to go, that's why I work with students, uh, I've realized that Christmas exposes a lot of my wants and desires that have been unmet for the past year or years or months. And Christmas always isn't a tough, isn't always a nice and easy holiday for everyone. Sometimes it's, it's a tough season. And, and sometimes it's not simple things like a game system or a car. Sometimes it's bigger things like, I don't know, a better marriage that you're waiting for and you're hoping for and you're dreaming for, a better job, more money, the health of a loved one. 
I know that one's particularly tough. My, my cousin, I still am, am dealing with this today. It, it, he, my grandfather was going through a, a really rough time and he was sick and it wasn't looking good. And I remember my cousin saying, you know, I'm gonna pray to God. And, and if God doesn't heal my grandfather, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not there. Well, unfortunately, God, for whatever his reason, didn't answer that prayer. And my cousin still has not reconciled the hurt and pain of that desire not being met. And what's even more tough is that we have to reconcile with Scripture and and the promises like Isaiah makes here. The whole Bible is filled with these promises. Ones like God gives us the desires of our heart. Well, am I hearing wrong? Am Am I translating my heart wrong? I really want this. I really need this. But God, where are you? But here's the good thing. God doesn't want us to go it alone. He, he doesn't want us to, to get through this. Uh, I think I put it up on your screen. Uh, God, I got to read it because I always forget it. Sorry. Uh, God never asked us to wait without him. And that's, that's the, the beautiful part. And so I want to look uh, at some practical things that I learned through scripture and, and kind of studied through scripture that can help us for any of us in this room. Because I think this is the common denominator in this room is that at some time, at some place, and at some point in our life, everyone in this room has gone through a painful process of waiting and hoping. And if you're like me and a control freak, that, that's never fun. And, and, it's, and it, you, you wonder. And then this, this word creeps in, and it's a word that we're afraid of, we're a word that we're scared to admit. It's this word called doubt. And we think that God feels less of us when we begin to doubt him. But again, God doesn't want us to go through this without him. Uh, a couple years ago, Several years ago, actually, um, my wife and I, we were uh, at a job and, and over a course of several months and conversations, it just became painfully clear that it was time to make a transition. And so after seeking lots of prayer and counsel and figuring it out, we determined that, that hey, I got I to gotta start looking for another job. And so I began that hunt and that process and I had kind of lined up a job and things were going well. And so the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving... I walk into my boss's office, and it's a great conversation. And I just say, you know, I think my season, my time, uh, my just being here has come to an end, and so I'll be transitioning over the next couple weeks. And it was great. And then we went through Thanksgiving, and there's still that level of doubt, that level of fear, that level of, okay, this is nervous but exciting, and oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Uh, and then Monday comes, and I get a call. And it's the job that I had lined up. Hey, we we're, we're, had a couple problems. We're going to have to pull that job off the table. And I'm going, what? What, what do you mean? And I'm sitting there going, okay, okay, I can recover. Tuesday, I go to work, and I'm doing my thing, and I come home, and my wife, uh, she was having some health issues, and so she went to the doctor, and, and I, I didn't think much of it just because I don't understand women's stuff at all. And uh, hopefully, never mind. Uh, I get up to the stairs and my wife meets me and she says, um, we made a mistake. And I was like, mm, what do you mean we? What, what's going on here? She goes, I'm pregnant. And uh, I said, how? <laughs> no, I, I, I see, I go, what? what? What do you, no, you can't be pregnant. No, uh, what? And, and as you can imagine, I'm sitting here, okay, okay, my job ends. In, in, in like literally 10 days, my insurance ends in, in 30 days and I don't have a job anymore and I got a pregnant wife 
And I don't know what that means. Now, thankfully, at that point, I wasn't processing that it takes nine months to make a kid for it to really form. So I had some time, but I didn't know that in the moment. Okay, I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh. But still, that this fear and this doubt took hold of me. And I remember spending weeks and, and heading into this Christmas season, just weeks going, God, like, what are you doing? Did, did I hear you wrong? I, I thought you were very clear that I was supposed to leave this job and that you had the next big thing for me. God, where are you? And, and, and this, is, this is difficult, but right? I, I'm, I'm a guy that I'm supposed to help other people. I'm supposed to pastor people. But myself, I'm getting filled with this doubt going, God, do you even care about me? Am I even important to you? And then after silence and absence and silence and absence, I'm going, God, are you, are you even there? And my whole life is just filled with doubt. And so I, after months of, of processing and praying and prayer, I, I want to share some of the things that I learned uh, with you. Uh, the first one is, and, and it's, it's the difficult one, is you have to embrace the weight. You have to embrace the weight. What I think is fascinating is that in our culture, in our churches, we... We think that we have to put on a facade or a mask when it comes to our emotional state. And I think that God, we forget that God created our emotions. He created us to feel. He created us to exhibit our, our emotions, to express how we feel. And it wasn't so we could do that to each other. It was so that we could do that to him. And I think a part of embracing is for you to tell God exactly how you feel. And if you have to use a few choice words, you have permission. Words I can't say right now. But you have permission. You can tell God exactly how you feel. And you don't have to worry. You can tell the people around you exactly how you feel. And you don't have to worry. Uh, I want to look at a verse that, that David wrote. And, and David was this, was this king that Isaiah mentioned before, that, that this, this promised child, this promised king, would take on David's throne. He was a great king. And he went through a dark time. And what was amazing to me is that he was able to, to work through those prayers and they became these worship songs that he would sing and share and stories that he would tell. And look what he says in Psalms. It's, it's going to be on the screen. He says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close. And he saves those who are crushed. I don't know about you, but I've been crushed before. And I felt like God is far but what I've learned is that God, in spite of everything, is his silence does not mean his absence. That in spite of everything, he is still close to us. God's silence does not mean his absence. The number, second thing I learned was to trust God. And this is the, the most difficult one. Because you're, you have to trust someone that you can't hear right now. And all you have is, is a book of promises and hopes for you. And, 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 and things declaring that you're going to have a great future. And all you need right now is hope for today. But you have to trust him. Now, I know this is a difficult one because trust is a big word. Especially in our culture. It's a word that has been totally lost. Uh, give me an example. If you go buy a house, how many papers do you have to sign? right? Your word, trust, is not really high valued in this culture, right? You have to put your life, you have to give up your firstborn child just to get anything in this world. But God is asking that. Now, now what's fascinating to me is, is what is the opposite of trust? For me, the opposite of trust is this word called worry. And what's fascinating is worry is not a result of our problem. Worry is the result of us thinking we can control our problem. And what's fascinating to me is if you're like a control freak, you get to a moment where you're like, wow, I'm not in control. 
And that's the moment that God wants us in because he wants to tell us, hey, I need you to trust me with your future. I need you to trust me that I have your best interest in mind and I want what's best for you. And those desires, those dreams that I've given you, yes, I gave them to you. And I'm preparing to do something through you and for you that you can't even imagine. You gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. I think it's important that we realize that we can't doubt in the dark what God told us in the light. In the midst of the chaos and the storm and the pain, we can't doubt what God told us when things were great and life was good. Isaiah says it best, uh, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who wait. In the course of your journey, in the course of your spiritual trajectory, there are gonna be times where you have to be in pause. And it's not really ever about you. It's about this big picture that God is inviting us to be a part of. And I think that's exciting. But it can only be exciting when we do the third thing. And the third thing is we have to choose hope. We have to choose to believe that God's promises are gonna happen. Just because your dream or desire is delayed doesn't mean it's denied. That, that's a huge hope. Look what, look what Isaiah says again. He says, uh, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Choose hope. Choose to cling to the hope that is God. Choose to cling to the hope that is this reason for this season that, that God is a, is a person of his word because he gave us a king. And yeah, he didn't come in the way that we thought. He didn't come in the way that we maybe wanted. But that didn't mean that Jesus didn't come to give us a way out, a way to peace, a way to clarity, a way to a better life. You have to choose to believe that no matter what you're going through, God isn't finished. And he will always have the last word. And the last word will always be in your favor. My, uh, my wife and I, you know, we're on that journey of wondering what's next for us. And, and I remember that it was just the darkest time in our life. But, but there's several things that happened in that is that as I began to embrace what, was, what I was feeling and telling God, it was, became therapeutic and it was healing in a sense that I didn't have to hide. I really found myself to be a lot more authentic than I was before. And my relationship of honesty grew. I, I, I trusted God, even when it's difficult. And, and I had to choose hope day in and day out. And sometimes it was several times during the day, I'm like, God, okay, I'm choosing you. I'm, 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 I'm going to, to believe that this is possible. But what I will tell you is that in that, that journey, as painful as it was, amazing things happened. My wife and I, we, we, grew, up, we grew closer. I, I got to, to fall in love all over again with my best friend. It was awesome. And we got to, to welcome our daughter into the world. And it's amazing what a child will do in perspective. <laughs> we have all these big things, and then you look at this, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, you're mine? Oh Lord. And that's still, I'm just raising my daughter. And God took us on a journey of healing and health. And I can tell you right now that my wife and I are a lot happier than we ever have been before. And while I never thought that I would end up where I was, I wouldn't do anything different. And that's the goodness of God. 
Now, one of the things that I love to do when we tackle a tough subject, and, and not a tough subject, but one that requires a lot, of, a lot of thinking and a lot of thought, is I love to close with a, word, with a song. And so I'm going to invite the band, and, and don't worry, they, they know it's coming. I'm going to invite the band, and they're going to lead us in a song. And, and it's one of my favorite uh, Christmas carols, if you will. Now, of course, because we're Renaissance, we've done it a little different. Uh, but trust me, I think you'll enjoy it. And I want you to do something that's maybe a little bit different or a little weird. I want you to think about the hope and the promise that this season brings. That God is a man of his word, is a person of his word, who in the midst of a chaos gave us a savior. And I want you to think about that as you, as you sing this song, and you'll really connect with it when we start singing this song. And I want you to think about what that means for you this season and how you, in spite of whatever chaos you're in and whatever tough waiting period or silence you're dealing with, that you can choose hope and that God is, is, is going to be your great savior. Will you guys stand as we pray? God, we are so thankful for your word and for your hope and for the promises that you have given us and the word that you this season have, have, have brought forth by giving us your son who came and taught us and lived with us. And most importantly, God, he gave us a way to a bright and better future. And so God, I pray that during this season in the midst of all the chaos, we continue to remember that you are, we are not forgotten. We are important still and that we have hope that is you. May we cling to that no matter what. We pray these things in your name. Amen.